Welcome to BDO Talks ERISA, a monthly podcast from BDO's ERISA Center of Excellence. Each month, we'll be talking best practices around all things ERISA, how to avoid common compliance issues, how to navigate the tricky ins and outs of ERISA's fiduciary provisions, and discussing our own experiences working for BDO's ERISA Services Group and the insights we share through the ERISA Center of Excellence. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. Let's get started. Welcome to another podcast of BDO Talks ERISA. We are absolutely excited to have you joining us today. I'm Beth Garner, and today I have Joanne Zupka with me once again, my co-host. Um, she's been manning the desk for the last couple of months because I've been out of pocket. So it is great to be back. And um, thank you, Joe, for handling everything. No problem, Beth. Glad to have you back uh, with us today. Thank you. So we previously discussed on BDO Talks Arissa episode, um, and I wasn't here, so Joanne handled it. You know, employers are, are dealing with the great resignation. And I think people got so tired of hearing about COVID this and COVID that. And now we have changed over to <laughs> these three, uh, I, I really call them nasty words because I feel like um, our industry is going through this as well, um, the great resignation. And our HR people probably are going back and reviewing their benefits currently being offered to their employees during this time. And a great benefits package can be one tool employers, you know, use to attract and retain employees, which we're having to do right now. So we have expert with us today, and it is, uh, his name is Howard, but he goes by Howie um, Gerber. And I'm going to read you uh, a little bit of his bio. And I love this first description, HR Data Geek. I call myself a geek all the time and my children roll their eyes, but I really am a geek. Specializing in health insurance, benefits, analytics, auditing, and administration. He is founder and president of HR Best Practices, and that is a leading health insurance benefits administration and technology company specializing in eligibility, benefits administration, ACA, IRS compliance, performance integrity, COVID-19 vaccine tracking and health equity. Human capital integrity services, this includes dependent eligibility, employee eligibility, working spouse verification, medical claims auditing, prescription drug claims auditing, disease management auditing, I love this auditing, auditing, and workers' compensation as well as insurance-related analytics and data visualization. Man, that sounds high-tech and very interesting. So, Howie, we have a kind of a thing here that is a tradition that we let you introduce yourself a little bit of, have I left anything off here? And then, (laughs) (laughs) I'm just glad I didn't love, um, you know, some of those high dandy words. And then, you give us something personal about yourself to, to let our listeners know, you know, some, a fun fact. So that was a long list. Uh, I, as you were reading off the list, I was like, wow. Um, yeah, we really have done all of those things and continue to do more of those things. And um, let me just also say thanks for inviting me. And I'm really thrilled to be here. So let's see, a fun fact about me, aside from being a data geek, 
I guess you could say I'm also a home improvement geek. Uh, I often spend Saturday nights at Home Depot or Lowe's. Uh, as uh, for the past three years, I've been renovating a historic log cabin in northern New Jersey. Built in 1935 when there were no Home Depots and Lowe's. And the log cabin itself, uh, the logs, the uh, beech trees, chestnut trees rather, that grew on the property, actually grew on that property and the tradesmen back in the day cut those down and built this log cabin and I've been restoring it uh, with friends and family for the past three years. So I don't know how fun that is, but uh, for me, it's fun. So. Well, are you totally going to have to send pictures? I've got to see this. That is Oh, it's, it's fun. Awesome. Yeah, I, I will do that. Yeah. I was going to say, Beth, um, Hallie and I had connected um, via video before Thanksgiving and he was in the log cabin and I would have had no idea that he was renovating it. So um, let's just say if the HR data geek doesn't work out for you, you may have a second career as a home builder remodel. Uh, they, well, if you Google, there's a guy by the name of the cabin doctor. He's in South Jersey and he charges more than most doctors charge for house calls. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So uh, he might have some competition in a few years. You never know. We'll, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned the cost of a doctor, right? Um, we know that the healthcare costs are expected to continue to increase into 2022, which will, you know, we'll be here and, and we'll be saying, oh, how quickly 2022 has gone by. Um, there's been numerous studies towards the end of 2021 that estimate the increase to be anywhere between 5% and 7.5%. Of course, actual increases are going to vary based on a number of factors. Um, but, you know, we also know that employers are looking to expand benefits or services um, to include additional mental health and emotional well-being solutions, potentially virtual and telehealth options, um, and increased health um, equality for those being covered, right? And those being covered, when we think about it, could be an individual, an individual and spouse, or family coverage, um, really just based on, on what your family's needs are. So I think for us, one of the important things to consider when you're looking at your healthcare plan is like, who's actually being covered and making sure that your plan covers only those who are eligible. And that's what we wanna kind of focus on today. Yes. and. Wow, when you have you know tons of people running through a plan and you know they're signing up their family, you know you want to make sure that you're doing you know the the right thing. Who's eligible? Who's not? So what we hear about is eligibility dependent audits. Howie, can you expand on that? You know what are those? Sure. Um, so a dependent eligibility audit also known as dependent verification, um, is a process where one verifies the eligibility of a spouse, a partner, or a child uh, that's enrolled in the plan. Because it's well known, and this has been going on for at least 15 years, um, that at any given time, about 5% of the dependents on the plan are not eligible for benefits. And the number goes up and down depending upon industry and other variables. But um, so uh, basically it's kind of like, um, if you will, uh, not a perfect metaphor, but if, you, if you've ever been in a restaurant or a bar and you got somebody else's check, <laughs> you're like, hey, 
what, what is this? This isn't mine, <laughs> right? Uh, in that setting, you've got a highly transparent uh, pro, uh, transaction. You've got a receipt. You can say, I ate this. I didn't eat this. Uh, in the healthcare benefits world, in spite of all the movement there is towards transparency, there really isn't a lot of transparency, even when it comes down to members. People just assume that anyone that's on the plan and anyone that's using the plan, whether it be fully insured or self-funded, is eligible for care. And at the end of the day, those 5% ineligibles, and we've seen as high as 22%, actually, and as low as 1%, um, um, though it can really be a drain on, uh, on costs, right? So you've mentioned, Howie, about really it's like a verification. And so I'm just kind of curious. Let me step back into the position of an employee. Well, I confirm during open enrollment who should or should not be under the plan, like on the plan under me. So how is that different, what you're talking about when compared to confirmation during open enrollment? Sure. So, um, and, and it will vary. The answer will vary depending upon um, what that open enrollment process looks like, right? But if it's simply check off the box, yeah, my spouse is my spouse, my partner is my partner, my kid's my kid. Uh, that's good. Let's just move on. Uh, that's a pretty easy process, right? Uh, the employee doesn't really have to think too hard about that. Uh, whereas with the dependent verification process. Um, there'll either be some combination of questions asked, like if requested, could you provide a redacted 1040 showing you and your spouse and your kids? And if the answer is yes, you know, congratulations. If the answer is no, that could be a red flag. But uh, in addition, uh, oftentimes with a verification uh, service like a dependent audit, um, one would need to provide supporting documentation, like a government-issued marriage certificate, domestic partner arrangement, uh, birth certificate, adoption paper, uh, guardianship paper, uh, et cetera. So I'll, uh, I'll so go, going back to what I started off with, with like checking the box off, a few years ago, I was uh, in Washington and I went to an IHOP, right? And uh, at the time I was 53 and on the menu, it said, hey, if you're 55 and over, you get a dollar off your pancakes. So just for giggles, I decided that I was going to, Although the uh, waitress, <laughs> that I was 55, <laughs> and, and she said to me, can I see your driver's license? Oh, you got and, carded at the IHOP. Uh, I got to tell you, I got, and I was so impressed. I said, first of all, I got to tell you, I'm just goofing around and I'm not 55. And I said, and, I, and thank you for instilling and, you know, and doing the right thing. This is your company's culture, your governance process, et cetera. So can I ask? you know, why you would go so far. I mean, do I look that much younger than 55? Ha ha ha. <laughs> you know, she goes, no, but I'll get fired if I don't, if I don't ask you to see your driver's license. Wow. I mean, I mean, for a dollar at an IHOP, right? Go figure, right? So um, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but. No, but, you, you are. Because yeah. at the end of the day, add all those dollars up. If, if somebody, you know, you're 53 and you come in, yeah. It, the, the ripple effect of all those dollars. No, that absolutely is the same thing. Yeah, yeah, it, it's crazy. So, so what you know, checking off the box is really easy. Asking for proof because I could have, she could have said, "Oh, we said he was fifty-five or older," and no skin off her back, right? Uh, versus 
um, asking, oh, you want to see my my uh, my driver's license? Oh, I'm sorry, I don't have it. It's in the car. Oh, well, we'll wait for you. Go, go, you can go to the car and bring it back, right? <laughs> so it's it, it's again, uh, pardon the simplicity of the metaphor, but at the end of the day, I think people you know get the point. If there's if there's teeth in the process, whether it be an open enrollment or during a dependent audit, um, yeah, that will help uh, confirm the eligibility of the dependents. So we're talking about dependents, which some automatically people may think a child um, or children, but let's also touch, you mentioned something earlier that I wanted to go back to real quick, working spouse. So is there a separate process to verify the working spouse? Okay, so let me rewind the tape back. Oh, sorry about that. Let me run the tape back for a minute. Um, so working spouse provisions and a working spouse provision basically says, hey, if you've got a spouse or a partner and they work and they have other insurance available, or even if they have other insurance available, um, um, at the end of the day, <clears throat> they if there's a carve out, they must be on their respective employer's plan, the spouse that is, right? Uh, or even if there's a surcharge, it says, hey, we're going to charge an extra $100 a month for your spouse to stay on the plan, right? So two differences, right? Carve out versus uh, surcharge. Um, the bottom line is about 35% roughly of employers have these working spouse provisions. So if they do have a working spouse provision, uh, it makes total sense to include the working spouse audit as part of a dependent audit, right? Um, but number two, if they do not have a working spouse provision, but say, hey, I like the idea of quantifying or estimating what the savings could be if we implemented a working spouse provision, let's do that at the same time. So case in point, we had a client in South Carolina that was in the uh, garment industry. They were like a, a, a mill that made uh, like a knitting mill, I guess. Is that what it's called? Something like mm -hmm. that. Uh, anyway, multiple factories all over the South. And, uh, you know, the VP of HR, a gun was held to his head basically to do a dependent audit because a new uh, private equity firm had bought them. And this was the best practice back at the time. And um, he said, I know there's going to be very few de ineligible dependents here. And I said, well, as long as we're talking, we can talk about working spouse too. What's that? And I told him what it was. He goes, yeah, let's ask that question. So he goes, uh, he said, I'm, I'm anxious to ask the question to get some empirical data. However, we're never going to implement that. That's fine. We can ask the question. So of course, we did the audit. We uh, included the working spouse questions. At the end of the day, uh, you know, maybe 3% of the dependents came off the plan and over a million dollars were estimated to be saved a year um, for employees that had working spouses and if those working spouses in fact went on to their respective employer's plan. And, oh yeah, no, it, it's it's a lot of money, right? Uh, it, could be, it could be a lot of money here. Um, but uh, interestingly, <laughs> within 10 weeks of starting the project and then getting the idea of how big the working spouse savings were, he said, yeah, they spoke about it at the benefits committee meeting and uh, they decided they were going to implement the working spouse provision immediately, <laughs> right? So he went from this is never going to happen to 10 weeks later, a million dollars, we're doing this right now, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, it, that implementation is based on how many commas there are in the figure, right? <laughs> well, yeah, and, and in this case, again, a private equity firm comes in as the new owner, and, you know, unlike a traditional employer, uh, a non-government mm -hmm. employer, where you might have, like, work on a 5% profit margin, et cetera, you know, the private equity firm is coming in, and they're thinking, let's flip this baby yep. at seven to ten times uh, EBITDA, whatever, whatever the number is, right? And that and that becomes a lot of money, right? I mean, a million dollars itself is a lot of money, but then when you put it in the context of a private equity firm, it becomes that much more money, right? Yeah, so. it's not going to take long to put to make that change. No, so, yeah. So you talk about that that situation where you know the cost savings ultimately was a million dollars. So. In your HR data geek status, um, what are the cost savings, you know, related to these audits? Okay, so um, prior to starting HR best practices, I worked for a big accounting firm, one of the, when it was called the Big Eight, actually, and ultimately went down to six and four, and I don't know what it is today, but. Um, it's four. Oh, it's just the four. Oh, okay, so um, I guess I'm dating myself. And have worked for a big HR consulting house, and and one of the one of the one of the responses that uh, we used to say, I don't know if people still say it, it depends, <laughs> right? And I always hate that answer from anybody. Always say it. Yeah, they everybody always it. says it, and everybody's always frustrated with the response. But I gotta tell you, it really does depend. So it it, it depends on a couple of different things, and I'm just gonna kind of rattle a couple off. First of all, we have the funding arrangement. Is the plan fully funded, fully insured, or is it self-insured, right? Uh, let's go down the fully insured path first, because that's probably the easier one to talk about. So, um, so and I'm gonna get geeky here. Sorry, I apologize for that. But um, with a fully insured plan, let's suppose I have a couple of different coverage tiers options, employee only, employee plus spouse, and family. If I have a 10-person family and I remove five of those kids that were my neighbor's kids, right, um, there's really no savings, right, because my premium is the same. I'm paying for family coverage. Now, um, I can get even wonkier and talk about experience ratings and and what that and how that translates into future increases premium increases now if god forbid one of those kids was a hemophilia hemophiliac and cost the plan a million dollars a year and it was a small plan well that's material right and ultimately one could argue from an actuarial perspective hey let's you know that's a million bucks for one person i mean to remove that person from the experience rating and come up with a new set of premiums, right? Which ostensibly result in lower premiums, right? But but the, the the short play in that scenario is there really has to be what I call coverage tier changes vis-a-vis -vis okay. removing the dependents. So the easier scenario is if I have an employee plus spouse and the employer's share is call it a thousand dollars a month for that. Right? It's probably more, but we'll call it $1,000 a month for that. If I take a spouse off the plan and now it's employee only coverage at 600 a month for that premium, I have saved 400 a month, right? Because that 
that's easy. I've taken the spouse off. The employer is no longer paying for that spouse. It's $400. Forget about claims and experience ratings. Uh, so I so I would so the savings there is dependent upon the number of coverage tier shifters, right? We'll keep it simple. Does that make sense? It does. So I mean, I, I think your original answer of it depends. There's a lot of facts and circumstances that go into it. Um to there's not one set answer, right? I think some people yeah, but, may just be like, hey, is it just a three percent savings, right? Oh well, well, so let's can we talk about that? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So now let's get to the self-funded side of the house, right? And we're seeing, you know, groups as low as 50 employees move to self-funding, which kind of blows me away, but it's a whole different discussion. So with self-funding, every dollar that that employer spends on behalf of that employee results in cost savings, right? So if I'm on the plan as an ineligible spouse and I take Lipitor for my cholesterol, uh, um, and it's a hundred dollars a month. Well, guess what? That Lipitor, uh, you know, the person comes off the plan. That's a hundred bucks a month. And you know, at the end of the day, uh, that's just something as easy as a, as a maintenance medication. We have removed dependents with multiple serious comorbidities that cost the plan over a half a million dollars a year one person, right? And we have done that in groups as small as 150 employees, and we've done it in groups as large as 20,000 employees, right? And then we have actually an insurance carrier client, which was bigger, and you know we had some for even more. Uh, and that's not even adjusted for inflation, for trends, right? So, um, so, so uh, I'm, not, I'm now going to answer your question. I apologize for the <laughs> long uh, preamble there. <laughs> Sorry, it's my nature is being a geek. I can get geeky really fast, and this just, I get caught up in all the variables, right? So, but it's full disclosure, right? So let's talk about you know. Actually, the short answer to your question, I should have said that at the beginning, is anywhere from one to three percent of the of the spend for uh, for a self funded plan, right? Okay. Right. Um, so that's the short answer. Now the variables are all over the map. It could be the industry. It could be uh, the location. Right. So if we look at certain parts of the country, there are higher uninsured rates than other parts of the country which have higher insured rates. Right. It could be the language that the employees speak. Right. Because let's face it, most people. Well, um, in this era of health equity, um, I, I just want to make it very clear that I'm saying that in a kind, friendly, gentle manner, <laughs> not in any kind of discriminatory manner. And the example I'm going to give as follows. If I, if my primary language is English and I'm not going home and reading and studying the benefits booklets around eligibility and I invariably have ineligible dependents in the plan, imagine someone where English is not the primary language. There's even a lower likelihood, and those materials are not available in whatever their primary language is, right? And maybe there might be some cultural things. I mean, who knows, right? Oh, of course, everybody's, it's all families included, extended families included. It's my family, right? So unless you're very explicit with the plan, the design, and the language, I mean, you know, it's, it's everything subject to interpretation if it's read, right? So then <laughs> That's you also, the key. If yeah, it's right, it, if it's read, and let's face it, 
I, I, you know, I would say probably the three of us on the call, we, we probably are a little more familiar with that language, right? Mm-hmm. But your average employee, not familiar with that language. It's a big health literacy issue in this country. And part of it is the way that plans are written and communicated, but there's a whole different discussion. I'll get off my soapbox. But uh, go ahead. No, so it, it was great hearing, you know, kind of what the percentage was. And we talked about the different setups that companies may have, you know, insured, self-insured, a combination. Um, I think Beth and I are both kind of curious, just you had mentioned the one in South Carolina with a million dollar savings. Um, was that your largest, uh, I'll call it audit finding, or was there a bigger one? In that specific client? No, just in general. In, in Oh, no, no, oh, no, no. <laughs> we, uh, it, you know, um, let me just say this. I'll make a American pop culture reference. Uh, one of my favorite movies is Forrest Gump, and I'm not going to do a good Forrest Gump impersonation, right? But uh, Tom Hanks is at the bus stop, and he's talking to that nice woman next to him on the bus, and he says, well, Mama says life's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get, right? And, uh, and, and that's what happens with these dependent audits and working spouse audits. You know you're going to get a chocolate. You don't know which one it's going to be. Is it going to be a nougat or a cherry or a whatever, right? An almond. Uh, and you're either going to like it or not like it. And some of them are going to taste great. Some of them aren't going to taste great. But I mean, again, we have found so many millions of dollars in real transparent and immediate savings. We, we did an engagement for a large a big box retailer. And this is a cra- this is a crazy story. Right. Right. And um, we found numerous ineligible spouses that cost the plan each hundreds of thousands of dollars. And this is a big retailer with tens of thousands of employees, right, um, on the plan. And it turned out, you know, none of these people were ever able to furnish any kind of documentation anywhere. But here, here's what was happening, right? Their spouse, we're doing a podcast, so you can't see my air quotes, right? <laughs> but their spouse, air quotes, came from other countries to America, they jumped on their spouses, who was the employee's plan. They got care for a half a million bucks each, you know, a couple hundred thousand to a half a million, right? And then went back to their respective countries, right? Because guess what? Um, the governance process was lacking, right? And uh, not only on the employer side, but on the carrier side as well. And the, the word on the street was, you got somebody in the family that's sick or a friend that's sick overseas, let them come to the plan, let them jump on the plan. There's no proof required. They'll get their care and then they'll go back to their country and done, right? Wow. I mean, it's just amazing. You are I mean, killing oh. me. Oh my goodness. Don't die. We need you to stay alive. You have kids, <laughs> stay alive. I'm, yeah, that- I'm going to pull back on my story. <laughs> if you're gonna re- um, don't die. Yeah, it's the holiday season also. Don't die. Um, so I think how we, um, we wanted to just kind of wrap up with just a few more questions, right? You, yeah. you mentioned documentation support. So yeah. if, if one of our listeners is out there, if our company is interested, I guess, like, what are some of the support items? And then my second half of the question would be, um, as we're, you know, as Beth started off a little bit, everyone's tired of COVID-19, but it sounds like maybe this process could also be used because the new hot thing is tracking the vaccines, right? Depending on what's going to happen with the government and 
and the new rules, but it does seem like every employer right now is tracking vaccines. So let's first talk about maybe what support or documentation would be needed through an audit um, and then whether or not this process could also be implemented to track vaccines. Okay, so I I just want to clarify, when you say support items, are you referring to supporting documentation that an employee would provide? Or Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, great. All right, so so traditionally, um, support items would include things like uh, a redacted 1040 that was recently completed showing the employee and their spouse and their kids at the same address, along with government-issued documents like marriage certificates, uh, birth uh, birth certificates, adoption papers, guardianship papers, uh, divorce decrees, not the whole decree, just like the first page and the sign page, right? Mm-hmm. That's important for other reasons, which we could talk about another time. Um, so, but but here's the deal, right? And here's one of my pet peeves with the industry. So, obviously, to do that, um, it kind of, it's a very, that's a fairly invasive process. And Beth, I think, made earlier reference to the great resignation. And, you know, a a metaphor kind of comes to mind, like in a boxing metaphor. In this corner, weighing in 120 pounds, uh, the great resignation thing, you know. And in this corner, weighing in 135 pounds, uh, healthcare cost containment, you know, take off your gloves, ding, you know, let's go at it, right? So, um, when you think of the great resignation, and there are certain industries that that applies to more than others, sit there and say, is this really the right thing to do? Are we going to really knock on every employee's door that's enrolled with a spouse, a partner, or a kid, or children, right, and ask them for this? Because it could be the straw that breaks the camel's back, and now that person's leaving the company because they felt that they were just, their personal space was invaded, right? So somebody has to do that math. Uh, and have that discussion and think think it through, right? <clears throat> so, so here's food for thought. So everybody loves the idea of cost savings. Me too, right? Why not, right? We've been learning this ever since we were young kids. You know, penny saved is a penny earned. Um, so the question becomes, does a plan really need to be as invasive as collecting supporting documentation from each member, each subscriber, or is there a better way? How about, and here's food for thought, right? A survey could could float a couple of questions like, hey, please confirm that you're eligible, blah, 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 and have all that language around that says, I confirm that if if it's proven not to be eligible, I could be responsible for back premiums, claims, whatever, whatever, right? But ask a few questions. If requested, could you provide a redacted 1040 showing you and your spouse, et cetera? If requested, oh. could you provide a government-issued birth certificate, right? And if the answer is yes, ding, 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 yay, congratulations, you get a pass, right? Um, but I, I could imagine the questions you're thinking, so I'm going to talk fast, uh, <laughs> and I'll, I'll get to that, to probably where you're going to go in a minute. If the person says no, they can't, guess what? Ding, 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 ding. Now, now, possibly the employee and the spouse are filing separately, so therefore they can't provide a married couple's return. That makes sense. That's okay, right? So anyway, my long story short, rather than collect documentation from everybody, 
collected from, at a minimum, one, those that can't provide it because, oh, if you can't provide it, guess what? Today's your lucky day. You're going to provide it, <laughs> right? Yeah. Or the spouses or the or the coming off the plan. And here's the question I was thinking that you might be thinking, right? right? So um, just to keep the process honest and keep integrity in the process, also do a sample audit of the people that did say yes. So let's say 10% of the people that said yes, particularly early on in the process that said yes. Hey, you know, we know that you said yes. We just want to confirm. So we're doing a spot audit. Uh, so please confirm uh, that they're eligible by providing us with the following documentation. So, I mean, I would like to use the word water cooler effect, but, you know, people are working from home. So I don't know if the water cooler effect is even relevant today. But uh, the equivalent of <laughs> the Zoom mm -hmm. effect. No, no. Um, um, that was not I, the question I was going to ask. I was going to be shocked because as auditors, we send out confirmations and my God, we get a, a very, very low response rate. So I was thinking you were either going to get yes responses or no response at all. Oh, well, oh, so that's a really great question, right? So you, know, you got um, this, this ain't my first rodeo. And um, one of the things we learned years ago um, when I guess gamification first came around, right? Um, people like games, people like winning things, right? So I would say probably about 10 years ago, we started giving away prizes for people that uh, responded within a few weeks because the longer this goes on, uh, it, the longer it can go on, right? Mm -hmm. So um, let's give people an incentive. Let's get as many people to participate as quickly as possible. So we'll put prizes out there. I mean, when we first started doing this, when iPads were hard to get, right, we'd give away five or 10 iPads. Like there'd be drawings every day for the next two weeks, you know, and, and that would give people an incentive to get their stuff in because, I mean, ultimately, we, you know, we, we strive for 100% completion, right? 100% participation because otherwise it becomes a poker game and it's a bluff and, you know, we'll, we will tell the employee or anyone that's in the business will basically say, hey, listen, uh, you know, we tried to catch more bees with honey than with vinegar at the beginning. You've now brought us down to the vinegar path. And, and guess what? We gave you five chances to respond. You didn't respond. Effective this day, your dependents are off the plant. Mm. And they will not be able to get back on the plant. Now, unlike, you know, 15 years ago when we first started doing this, there was no such thing as the exchange, right? At least today, there's a safety net. So if people are doing it for financial reasons, um, at least they can go to the exchange, qualify for a subsidy, maybe go to Medicaid, right? At least there, there are options. There's even low-cost telehealth options where you don't have to enroll in a true plan, but for 10 bucks a month, you can buy telehealth and go see a virtual doctor and get a prescription for your amoxicillin for your kid, you know, whatever, right? So, uh, so today there are more options than there were back then. But uh, did I answer your question, Joanne? I may have gone you, too far down a rabbit hole. No, no. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And we are unfortunately running out of time. But oh my goodness, Howie, this has been wonderful information. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. We absolutely appreciate um, you spending time with us today. Uh, and listeners, thank you for joining us today. As you can tell, we certainly love talking about retirement, retirement plans, and other things. 
um, such as today that's happening in the HR industry. Our video, Arista Center of Excellence on video.com.